0: Hello everyone, and welcome to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Episode 74, and my name is Michael Bradley. This episode is the latest in our quarterly fifth-week episodes, where we temporarily break from our ongoing coverage of Superman's adventures for a look at something else related to the Man of Steel in this Golden Age era. This time, well, this time is a bit of a mea culpa over something I should have noticed and made mention of a long time ago, and I'm actually slightly embarrassed that I didn't catch it because I'm usually pretty good at picking out these things. As mentioned and covered in previous episodes, episodes 20 and 25 for those playing along with the home version, issues 1 and 2 of Superman both contained text stories featuring the Man of Steel written by Jerry Siegel. Most comics around this time had text stories. As I've explained before, they used these to uh, skirt postal regulations and get cheaper mailing rates for the comics. While there were only Superman text stories in issues 1 and 2 of the Superman comic book, issues 3 and 4 and beyond, really, continued to include text stories from you know, various genres like they had in the other magazines. And one of the stories in each of these issues of Superman, issues 3 and 4, was credited to Hugh Langley. Now, Golden Age writers would often use pen names for their stories. Uh, There were a lot of reasons for this, but Superman writer Jerry Siegel was no different, even dating as far back as his fanzine days. And one of the names he used was none other than Hugh Langley. Siegel's earliest use of the name seems to be in a story from 1932, titled Guests of the Earth. Perhaps more important is that the name was used on the Henri Duval story in More Fun Comics No. 10 from 1936. Henri Duval, along with Dr. Occult, were Siegel and Schuster's first features, both first appearing in New Fun No. 6 with new fun becoming more fun with Issue 7 and more fun comics with Issue 10. While Issue 10 of that series was the final Henri Duval's story, it's a bit odd to me that they would use a pen name only on that story for the feature. Um, two months later, they started two new features with Radio Squad and Federal Men. So I wonder if it was in a situation where they were maybe fishing around for more work with other companies... Uh, Dr. Occult was being published under a pen name at that point as well, so it's strange to me that they would take their names off both strips if that's all they had going. In any event, flash forward three years, and Superman number 1 hits the stands with a Superman text story written by and credited to Jerry Siegel. Three months later, Superman number 2 comes out with another, and three months later, number 3 comes out with no Superman text story, but one credited to Siegel's old pseudonym, Hugh Langley. And then three months after that, number four followed suit. I I really feel I should point out that I have no absolute proof that these were in fact written by Siegel. And strangely, the online comic book databases simply credit Hugh Langley. But they feel like Siegel's writing to me, especially the one from issue four, and it seems like a huge coincidence that another author would happen to use the same pen name or that they would or that the company would happen to hire someone named Hugh Langley who would only write two stories and then fall off the map so i'm pretty confident that these were written by Jerry Siegel as always if anyone has any information to the contrary please let me know the first story the one from superman number 3 has a couple of spot illustrations thought to have been done by Fred Garnier. And it was a one-page tale titled, Good Luck Charm. The story tells of two prison inmates, Tony Carinzo and Lucky Malone, who attempt to break out by slipping underneath a uh, repair truck and hoisting themselves up on the undercarriage so that the truck will carry them out when it leaves. While they're waiting for the truck to depart... Malone takes a small locket from his pocket and chuckles to himself about how his lucky charm has done it again. The narration then takes us back and explains that Malone used to serve as muscle for a wealthy Hindu man named Ronnie Kaur. One day, as Kaur was transporting a fortune in jewels to the U.S., Malone killed him and stole the jewels. And as he was leaving, he saw the locket and stole it as well. He later sold the jewels, but held on to the locket, despite the fact that he couldn't read the inscription on the back. And soon after, Malone came into a string of really good fortune, uh, so much so that he earned the nickname of Lucky. Even after Malone was arrested and convicted of murdering one of his thugs, he he still held tight to his belief about the locket, as he was sentenced only to life rather than death in his chair. Back in the present, the guards have given the okay for the truck to leave, and as it roars through the open gate to the prison yard, Malone revels in how his lucky locket has done it for him yet again. But his words are cut short as the truck hits a series of bumps in the road, causing him to lose his grip. As Malone is dragged behind the moving truck, Tony cries out for the driver to stop. The truck skids to a halt, and as the driver checks on his stowaway passengers, He sees that Malone's locket had gotten tangled in the undercarriage, strangling him. Once Malone's body is freed, Tony asks the dark-skinned driver if he can read the inscription on the locket, and the man recognizes it as Arabic, translating the writing as, Wear me in honor, or perish. The End And that's not a bad story. It, It reminded me of something they might have told on, you know, The Twilight Zone. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they did tell a story very similar to that. Uh, My Twilight Zone knowledge is uh, sorely lacking, unfortunately. But still, a a very good story. I I like that one a lot. Next up is a story from Superman number four. There's only one spot illustration on this one, credited again to Fred Gardiner, But this is a two-page story titled Changer of Destiny. As our story opens, a scientist by the name of George Rankin scours the newspaper, upset over the way of the world, as told in headlines about gangsters murdering children and a war that's looming ever closer. Driven to do something, Rankin injects himself with a chemical concoction of his own creation. The drug succeeds in speeding up his time rate, allowing him to live at a speed more than 31 million times that of the rest of the world. What the rest of the world will perceive as merely one second, to Rankin it will seem like a year. 365 days, which is enough time to complete the task that he has assigned himself. As he wanders the streets, the world around him seems frozen in time. Birds are suspended in mid-air, people are halted in mid-gesture. After experimenting with his new power, Rankin wastes no more time and attempts to start his car... Unfortunately, he soon realizes a side effect in that, much like the people, the car is seemingly frozen in time as well, and it would take a full year for the electrical spark to fire the engine. Not willing to let that stop him, Rankin begins walking, and three hours later has reached the other side of the city. Nearing his destination, he passes by a bank in the midst of a hold-up. Entering, he sees a plainclothes detective starting to draw his weapon, and that one of the robbers has already fired a shot. He gasps when he sees the bullet hanging frozen in the air a mere inch from the detective's chest. After plucking the bullet from the air and tossing it into the trash, Rankin relieves the robbers, or the would-be robbers, of their weapons and ties them up. Having had only a taste of the larger job before him, Rankin leaves and soon arrives at a sprawling brownstone mansion. He leisurely strolls through the mansion, passing several armed men, and finally finds his target, a crime boss by the name of Spernelli He talks to the man's motionless form, his monologuing speaking of how Spurnelli has preyed on the people of the country for too long, and if the country's wave of crime is to end, Spurnelli must be ended as well. Reaching into the Crime King's jacket, he pulls out a gun. He then places it against the gangster's head and pulls the trigger. We then move forward in time several months, from Rankin's point of view. The months of walking have worn Rankin down, but he's finally arrived in Washington, D.C., at the office of a European ambassador to America. Gathered with the ambassador are several of his fellow countrymen, poring gleefully over a stack of papers and diagrams. Seeing what the papers are, Rankin gathers them up and walks onto the White House, placing them neatly on the desk of the president. His task complete, Rankin leaves the White House, and the weight of the responsibility is lifted from his shoulders. Exhausted from the months of walking, Rankin leans against the car to ease his weariness. As he does, fragments of light and sound begin to shoot through his brain. The intensity increases, and Rankin realizes what's happening. His year is up, and the drug is finally wearing off. Rankin struggles with all the energy he has left to get out of the way, but it's not enough. While the din continues to thunder in his ears, his distorted vision sees the traffic and people begin to slowly move. As the world around him begins to return to normal, his knees finally buckle, and the last thing he hears is his own frantic scream. Elsewhere, the President looks down at the papers that have mysteriously appeared on his desk, realizing that with those few scraps of paper, he can put an end to the fomenting war. And soon, newspapers cry the headline of Spirnelli's death and the boon that it will give to the fight against crime, while a smaller headline tells of a fatal hit-and-run accident that claimed the life of an unidentified man. The End What a great story. I really, really enjoyed this one. In some ways, it reminded me of the reign of the Superman in that it it involved a scientist and chemical enhancement and and, uh, that kind of thing. Plus, again, we have the idea that superpowers can cure all the world's problems, which is a major theme in er, Siegel's work, not only with Reign of the Superman, but with a lot of the Superman stories we looked at, too. Also, like with Reign of the Superman, I would love to see this as a movie. I guess it would be difficult, because you'd have to get a really great actor to play Rankin, since he'd pretty much be the only one doing anything for the majority of the film, but you can just visualize the the, the movie introducing us to Rankin and the crime-riddled world, and then he spends you know a lot of time crossing the country and righting wrongs and, and finally ending in Washington, D.C. Though it works great as a two-page text piece, I think there's definite room for expansion in, in the story. So yeah, those are the two text stories, likely written by Jerry Siegel but credited to Hugh Langley. When we looked at these Superman text stories from Issues 1 and 2, I speculated that the reason there weren't any more is that they wanted Siegel to focus on writing comics, especially Superman. But if he did write these, and I'm pretty sure he did, why not go ahead and make them about Superman? You know, Since it was a Superman book, a Superman text story would certainly be more popular than a story about random people that we'll never hear of again, no matter how good they are. So I wonder if it wasn't maybe Siegel himself that opted to go for the non-Superman stories. He's on record as saying that he didn't feel that Superman was suited for prose, where it lacked the dynamic visuals of Joe Shuster and the other artists, of course. And I'm also curious now, did Siegel write more text stories under other pen names? There aren't any others credited directly to Siegel. But there is a text story in a 1943 issue of Detective Comics credited to another pen name that Siegel is known to have used. But I'd say it's very possible that he used other pen names throughout the years, and there's just no record of it. It would be really interesting to find out, and I'm not holding my breath on it, of course, but maybe someday we will. Uh, I guess all we can do is hope. dedicated to covering all aspects of the superman legend featuring the thrilling adventures of superman golden age superman the superman fan podcast superman in the bronze age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. I've got a few things to say about Superman, the Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from SupermanHomepage.com. As well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton, and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Pendant Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan. Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Kamin Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Yunus, and co-host Scotty V, at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Steel and more. supermanhomepage.com. Thanks everyone very much for joining me this episode. Next time I will be joined by a very special guest as we do something special to mark the show's 75th episode. So please come back. Don't forget to stop by the website at greatcrypton.com for show notes and back episodes there you will also find the rss feed and the itunes link both of which can be used to subscribe to the show if you are on facebook or twitter i encourage you to follow the show on those sites so you can get updates whenever there's a new episode or i have you know show related news to share if you have feedback you can also contact me through the website or facebook or twitter or you can email me at thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com i love hearing from listeners so let me know your thoughts Remember to visit the Superman homepage and the Superman Podcast Network where you'll find all kinds of other Superman-related news and information and podcasts. And finally, I invite you to check out Green Lanterns Light, another podcast I co-host with J. David Weider and Jeffrey Taylor. And you can find that at GreenLanternsLight.com. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster and is copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to the thrilling adventures of Superman, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye. I bet you Tell that tale for you, start it up. somehow I'll get your message through.